Mark chapter 7, 24 to 30. Jesus got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he couldn't escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need your grace this morning, even to understand your word, and, and, and let alone to, to do it, to, to obey you, to believe what you've spoken to us. Would you help me as I preach? Would you help us as we listen? Speak your word now and make it come alive into our hearts to be conformed into the image of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The message this morning is offensive. And if you're not offended, you're probably not tracking. The main idea of this text is that God only gives you his children's leftovers. God only gives you his children's leftovers. Mark, the evangelist who wrote this, narrates this story quite beautifully and brilliantly. He sets it up. Jesus comes from the western shore of Galilee, Gennesaret, and travels to the region of Tyre on the west coast of ancient Israel's banks. In Joshua 19.29, we encounter Tyre for the first time, and it's just beyond the borders of the tribe of Asher. And in the book of Mark, we hear about Tyre because people from Tyre and Sidon were coming all the way to hear Jesus in Galilee. So now, as it were, Jesus returns the favor and pays them a visit, probably stays, the house is from Jews there, and he arrives, he wants to escape notice, he arrives at Tyre, probably tired, trying to escape from the paparazzi following him, but he doesn't. We hear about this lady, and she's got a problem. But she's showing up outside his office hours and his off hours, and we hear about this problem that she has, that she has a daughter who has a demon, and she's begging Jesus, keeps asking Jesus, Jesus, cast out 
the demon from my daughter. But she doesn't just have a problem. Turns out in verse 26 that she is a problem. She's a Gentile. She's not part of God's chosen people, Israel. And so Jesus speaks to her in words that, if they're not familiar to you, will be scandalous. I thought Jesus was nice. He's calling this woman who's in desperate need a dog. What do we do with that? Now, the thing is, it's not that Jesus dissed her because she was a woman. He helped and served many women. It wasn't that she was too big a sinner. He helped tax collectors and prostitutes murder on the cross. It's not that Jesus' superpowers are limited to what he can see or something. That, oh, you've asked me to cast out this demon at a distance. Can't help you there. No, it's just the fact that this woman is a Gentile, and after introducing her problem, Mark highlights, now, this woman was a Greek, i.e. a Gentile. And so, this diss that he delivers, it's not like Jesus is only speaking in these terms here, or that this is just totally foreign to Scripture. Jesus and Matthew chapter 7 and the Sermon on the Mount had already said, don't throw what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine. We read in the, the Psalms multiple times where the psalmist will call wicked Gentiles dogs. And there's Proverbs 26 talking about a dog going back to his vomit. So a fool goes back to his folly. And Peter quotes that in 2 Peter 2. So it's not like he's just doing something that's totally out of the blue. But apart from just dissing her, he says something that is even more shocking, perhaps. He says it wouldn't be right to help in this way. It would be immoral, improper, to take what belongs to the children and feed it to the dogs. So not only are you a dog, but it would be wrong for me to help you as such. So, I've been to Nicaragua many times, and in my times there, when you go out into a very rural village, there are many children. The only thing they're skinnier than the kids are the dogs, and they roam about, tons of them, stray dogs. And in my times there, when we'd go share the gospel, encourage pastors or what have you, we'd bring food, and you wouldn't think, not for a second, about taking food from some of those starving, literally starving kids and giving it to the dogs. Not a chance on your life. And sometimes kids are careless, of course, and maybe a dog comes and takes the food, and boy, have you ever seen some mad moms. So, what Jesus is saying here, we can understand it. It's not just that they, the, the children need to be fed first. They need to be filled, some translations say, 
let them eat what they want, be satisfied first. They need to eat totally before you're taking anything from them like you're asking. And this seems kind of crazy to us, perhaps, but Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 8, for I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers. Did you catch that? He became a servant to the circumcises, and he came, became a servant to Israel in order to confirm the promises to the fathers to fulfill the things that God had promised to Israel as God's chosen people. He came to Israel. And as we're thinking about this in application, we need to get rid of any misconceptions that were first on God's priorities. First of all, God's first priority is God himself. God is holy, right? He's not a lawbreaker. What's the greatest commandment? Love your God with all your mind? You think God's going to break that? God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they love one another in perfect holiness, first and foremost. But as the point here is more so that we're not only, <laughs> the Jews are first before us. So God loves himself most, but he chose the Jews as his chosen people. And with this, it's a humbling thing. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses said that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children so that we may do all the words of this law. In Psalm 1. 47, verses 19 and 20, we read this. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and judgments to Israel. He has not done this for every nation. They do not know his judgments. Hallelujah. So, the world at large doesn't know God, who he is truly. He's not revealed himself to everyone in the same way that he, that he had to Israel. That's just what it said, but when we think that we're first, what do you know, but we actually act like it too. And we get bent out of shape when God doesn't come to our beck and call because we think that, well, we're first, so why isn't God doing what I want? And it's, the shoe fits me too. Because I grew up in the church, like maybe many of you did, maybe you didn't, but if you're from North America even, and you've heard the gospel many times, if in your own experience there was no delay, then why wouldn't you think that you're first? Experientially, maybe you've heard the gospel all your life. So it'd be natural for you to think that you're first. But we hear here that we're not. That was the people of God Maybe this is why people from other countries, Muslim countries or Hindu countries, think, oh, Christianity, it's a Western thing. Because we in the West act like it is, act like we're God's 
first priority. When we don't get that, everything that we've received are leftovers. So Jesus prioritized saving the Jews, but that's not the end of the story. In verses 28 to 30, we read something more. There are things in this passage that you can't make sense of unless it's not only true that Jesus came to the Jews, but he came for Jew and Gentile alike. So Jesus is more merciful than these words might lead you to think. First of all, Jesus comes to Tyre. This is outside the bounds of Israel. This is the only time that he leaves the ancient boundaries of Israel. He comes to Tyre. This is the only task he undertakes at Tyre. Was that an accident? And then there are other times when Jesus wants to go away on a retreat or to pray on a mountain in seclusion. And people don't find him. There are many times when he and his humanity wanted to rest and he allows himself to be inconvenienced because he cares. But there are other times when he, nobody can find him. Jesus, where were you? Everybody's looking for you. But he let himself be found by this woman. And he doesn't just dismiss her. He talks to her. He talks to the lady. But in verse 27, pay close attention there. What does he say about the feeding? He says, let the children eat their fill first. Not don't feed the dogs. Let the children have their fill first. So there's more going on here. And this lady believes it. There are two startling confessions in verse 28 that you might not pick up on. Why is it that when this woman had come to Jesus, fell at his feet, begging him, throw a bone, help my daughter, that he didn't do that to begin with, but after what she said in verse 28, Jesus said, because of that reply, you got it. What's going on here? Two confessions. One is a confession of her unworthiness before God. Where is that? Well, she grants Jesus' point. Jesus calls her a dog and she says, a dog I am. But even the dogs underneath the table eat the children's crumbs she was willing to accept that this, and she knew that she wasn't worthy of God's grace. I mean, compare her with the rich young ruler, the, the young Jewish man who came to Jesus and says, hey, hey, Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus says, there's no one good but God. Jesus did not imply, you're God. He implied, you're bad. That man went away 
dissatisfied. This woman left content, believing. She knew that she wasn't worthy of Jesus, and yet she knew that Jesus was not only mighty, but merciful, and more merciful than his initial reply might have let on. And this is the gospel too, in that if you believe the gospel, it's offensive. It's a stumbling block to Jew and Gentile alike. The gospel means that God had to take on human flesh because you and I were so rotten that without that we would face eternal hell forever. That's God's diagnosis of your unworthiness. If you don't believe that, then the solution doesn't make sense. If there was any other way besides God taking on flesh, the, the gospel is offensive. This woman knew she was a dog, but knew that Jesus was merciful, and so sought him. She also calls him Lord. Now, if you know just a bit of Greek, you can know that doesn't, the word that's translated Lord can also just mean sir or polite gesture like mister, but that's not what's going on here. This is the only time in the book of Mark where anybody addresses Jesus Lord, and the context in which she's addressing him as Lord asking him to do what only God can do is indicative of her trusting what Paul says is necessary for anybody who would have peace with God. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, did you catch that? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, then you will be saved. This woman knew Jesus as Lord and sought him as such. She knew that even last place, even the kids' leftovers, that would meet her needs. That was all she needed. And she was coming for that. We need, like this woman, to humble ourselves before God in our unworthiness. You must humble yourself before God in your unworthiness. God doesn't owe you grace. We owe him glory, but he doesn't owe you grace. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace, it would be something you've earned, right? God doesn't owe you grace, but to own God's grace, you must owe up to your disgrace. This is true not just of Gentiles, but Jews too. So we read elsewhere in Matthew 8, chapter 8, the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, I am not worthy to have you enter my house. Just speak the word. My servant will be healed. Well, this I'm not, un, uh, I'm, I'm not worthy or I am unworthy. We hear that first on the lips of who? John the Baptist, the greatest 
before Christ. In Mark 1.7, where John says, I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Do you know what King David calls himself before God? In 2 Samuel, you can infer what he's going to call himself in the context. 2 Samuel 9, verse 8, he calls himself a, a dog before God. This is King David. And in Deuteronomy 9, God had told the people of Israel, it is not because of your righteousness that you are going to enter the land. The people who first received Jesus, crucified him. Jew and Gentile alike, without God's grace, would be but dogs. And we need to get that. In Israel, if you go to the most holy sites in Christianity, like the places of Jesus' birth and burial, there are ancient doorways ancient, but old doorways, about Yehi, not because the people when they were built were midgets, but because to enter into the room, they want you to have to go on your knees to humble yourself. That's a good image of what coming to God in your unworthiness looks like. Jesus said, Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And few find it. Few enter that doggy door. We need to to base our prayers on the Lord himself like this lady did. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to base our prayers on the Lord himself. Imagine what this woman could have said. She could have come to Jesus and said, Jesus, heal my daughter. I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for her. So just, it's, it's for her. It's, 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 for, it's not me, right? Or she could have said, Jesus, don't you hate demons? Those guys have it out for you. Why won't... You know, do it on that basis. Or Jesus, aren't you, I don't know, God? Don't, don't you have the power to do this without any real problem? Can't, you know, why don't you just do it because it doesn't cost you anything? No, she comes to him and solely on the, the expectation of his mercy, she says, Lord, Will you help? And we too, I mean, this is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We don't pray to God. We don't seek God because of who we are, but because of Christ in us. When we pray in Jesus' name, we come to God not because of our worthiness, but despite our unworthiness, being able to claim Jesus' name who died and came to life for us. This might not change the content, the actual things for which you're praying, 
but it might provide a needed correction for the basis of your prayers. And it changes our disposition when in fact we don't, perhaps like this lady did, receive the prayers which we pray. The point of all of this is not to discourage you. I don't think that's what Mark is getting at. There are children who were once dogs, and there are dogs who will not become children. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, called the people who were of the, the circumcision party who were trying to add a component of good works to their salvation, which is just by grace, Paul called these people dogs, and he said, watch out for those dogs. And then in Revelation, last chapter of the Bible, chapter 22, verse 15, guess who's outside the New Jerusalem? Outside are the dogs. Jesus, however, doesn't leave you a dog. He transforms you into a child. Which is why we need to live like children, not like dogs. We come to Christ in our unworthiness, but he is the one who is able to make us worthy. And so we hear these things and we read them and preaching them not to, to discourage you or to encourage you to self-deprecate yourself, but to encourage you to sink deep into the only grace there is, God's divine grace. It's not because of who we are, but it's because of his magnificent mercies towards us. Think about it. Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. If Jesus left the honor that was owed him, the glory owed him to take on the form of a Jewish servant, but yet a Jewish son, he set that aside all the quicker. He gave up his life, he gave up his portion so that you could have a seat at the table. He didn't owe it to you, but he's offered it to you by his love, his kindness towards you. And Jesus, the leftovers that he offers, they're if you're a bachelor or bachelorette, you know the holidays when you go to family or friend's house and you get 
load it up with leftovers and go back and enjoy them for meals to come, better than that. They're, they're leftovers that will tide you over into eternity. God's grace towards you in Christ Jesus satisfies all your needs and in fact turns you from canines into children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace so undeserved. Father, these words that we read in Mark are humbling, if not humiliating. But we pray that we would humble ourselves, confess our unworthiness before you, and receive your grace. Dogs that we be, that we would become the children of God and insofar as we are your children, and that is what we are, that we would live like it too. Help us, we pray. We thank you and pray in, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us this morning and, and teaching us to what seems like a very complicated passage at face value, uh, but, but the beautiful reminder of who we are, more importantly, who Jesus is, and then who we are because of Jesus. Thank you so much for opening the word with us. Uh, as, as we head out into the uh, atrium afterwards, a couple things. One, you're going to notice that there's an opportunity to volunteer with Winterize Your Ride, which is again happening on this weekend. Uh, you can chat with Dan Riggler for more details about that. But also take a chance, uh, an opportunity to say hi to somebody. Maybe someone you haven't seen in a while. Uh, enjoy some conversations together. And as always, at the end of the service, there's opportunity for prayer. If there's something that's weighing on your heart or mind, we have a team who would love to lift you up in prayer. Now, Kyle, I'll leave it for you to close our service with a benediction. Thank you. If you'd please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you and be gracious to you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his face on you and give you peace.